Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Ian McDermott is a check-in because Ian was part of our February 29th, 2020, 12-hour live show marathon. And for the next, I don't know, 27 episodes or so, I'm going to be speaking with everyone that was part of that marathon show. And this will probably be the most positive conversation, even though I've only recorded a handful of them. I have a feeling that Ian's last year was spent better than most everyone I know. And... I do not expect to talk about anything that we talk about today in this show, and I am so happy we did. Uh, Ian is amazing, and what he's working on is amazing, and if you keep listening, you'll hear all about it. Unfortunately, one of the things you'll also hear is this current plug for our Patreon account. Things have changed dramatically in the last year for a lot of people, including myself. That is why we now have a Patreon account. Please consider donating at you, me, them, everybody.com. It's in this podcast description. It's on our About page. What Ian is doing is so interesting, completely interesting, and I want you to hear about it. Here's the show. First question should be the obvious one. How are you? I'm well, all things considered. I'm in a strange situation uh, job-wise, but uh, we can get into that later. Let's get into that now if you're comfortable with it. I am totally comfortable. Good. Uh, yeah, so I'm in a weird place because I just stopped my contract with the Smithsonian uh, mm-hmm. because they would not renew it at the Hirshhorn. Uh, but as I stopped, I finished this two-year-long project uh, where I created a new type of image file that uh, reads what's in the image to the user uh, and gives them an image description because it's intended for blind users to understand the composition of the image. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, and it is now owned by the Smithsonian. So it's a weird spot where they own this, and I kind of don't have access, but I kind of do, and I don't know what the future of this project is, but I just applied for a grant that would allow me to continue working at the Smithsonian, uh, but I'm going to have to wait for a month to find out if I will still be there. Do you qualify for unemployment? I do. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah. They've uh, loosened that rule for the pandemic. Wow. So yeah, I'm in this weird spot where I can float okay for a month or two, uh, and I might have a job in a month because people have been happy with this project, uh, but there's still the uncertainty of all that. Could you have developed this without working at the Smithsonian for those two years? Yeah, um, it was interesting because there wasn't too much, like my managers weren't really checking up on the project. Uh, And in the past half year, it was the Access Smithsonian, which uh, gave me the grant and handles uh, all sorts of accessibility things around the institution. Uh, They would check up on me. Um, But yeah, it was all basically self-guided, and uh, I basically just did it all on my own. And in the past about six months, <clears throat> I've just essentially been working from home on my own with a few checkups in between. This has got to be both incredibly satisfying, but disheartening. Satisfying because you you set out to do what you, you wanted to do, but disheartening for 
the obvious and also you have no ownership of this thing that you created exactly and then like the added weird thing is no one the smithsonian's not going to use it if i'm not there because like no one's really going to know how to <laughs> yeah add to it or implement it so yeah it's a it's a weird place but i also uh said that i was going to make it open source uh but we haven't really established that like i'm still in contact with people so I'm trying to work that out, but because if it's open source, I can still work on it. Uh, yeah, but also if it's open source, you could open source your way out of a job. This is true, but uh, I, with the scope of like the work needed, I don't think that would happen. But so you made it, you've made something that's in theory so specialized that only you'll be able to troubleshoot it. Yeah, I mean, someone could definitely learn it, uh, but. Yeah, uh, it's so specific because it's like mixing uh, synthesis, audio sampling, AI, and just like kind of graphics programming. And those are like altogether very specific. Uh, and you would have to pay someone a lot if you're going to like get an outsider to come work on it. This might be a very obvious and dumb question, but is this the type of work that would be like would land you a job in Hollywood? Not necessarily Hollywood, uh, but... Land well, when I say Hollywood, you, I mean the film industry. Right, right. No, I mean, like, the thing about it is it's more of, like, a tech-slash-art type thing. Um, like, the whole purpose was... So I also, alongside this thing, uh, you can use it on your desktop, but I also made it work with a camera, and the camera uses AI to recognize artwork in a gallery and then it loads in the image file and you tilt the camera to access it so you get this kind of ar experience so it's really more of like a tech thing than like something the movie industry would be interested in uh because this it's is for so still this is so cool <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be making videos of like demonstrating it uh and i'm also doing a talk at MuseWeb, which is like a museum conference in a month Man, this is um, okay. So that's not how I know you. <laughs> that's not why you run the show. That's I mean, we've met roughly ten years ago because you were doing. I think it's fair to say absurdist comedy. Yeah. And knowing what you did then, and knowing where you are now, to me, there's a direct line from what you were doing because I think your brain works slightly differently than the majority of comedy consumers. But it works, no pun intended, in a, in a beautiful way. I don't even know if that's a pun. That I am so attracted to. <laughs> that <laughs> it's, it's very, and I'm sorry if you get this a lot, but it's very Eric Andre, but none of the parts that you like feel stupid for liking Eric Andre. Right, right, right. So I hope that's not an insult. Oh, yeah, no. I take that as one of the highest compliments. Because and I, I love, love Eric Andre. I want to make that clear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think his stand-up uh, special from 2020 was one of the best. Yeah, for sure. But um, what you're doing yeah. is sort of like you're making the only other person I think that's in the comedy world that's doing anything remotely similar to what you're doing is Sarah Squirm. Do you know who she is? Yes. Yeah, I actually opened for a show she did at Rhizome here. Perfect. Like that makes sense. But other than that, like you're not as welcoming and once again I like this about you you're not as welcoming as like say a wham city right you don't run with a collective I think your brain is so specialized that you are a solo act for better or worse 
I gotta, yeah, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm kind of a control freak in my comedy. So yeah, solo or duo. I did do a fringe show uh, with three other people in 2013, and that was good. Uh, like, but we all had a chemistry. But yeah, like I gotta keep it smaller sized. Uh, I couldn't do like a sketch crew, um, at least not for like an extended period of time. I don't think. Well, do you think that made you gravitate towards programming? Uh, kind of the programming thing, um, really came my senior year of college. I took my last semester. I took a, um, coded like coding art using code to create art class. And I was like, Oh crap, I should have been doing this all throughout college because like I can do this. Um, and so, yeah, like I end up tying together like all the mediums I know. So I draw relationships between coding and music and <clears throat> video editing and animation. Like they all have related pieces that can fit together and coding and comedy are two mediums that you can connect like all the other mediums through which has been interesting. This uh, is not about. normal. <laughs> <laughs> but you're interesting. Uh, like our relationship is interesting because you've like seen my full development mm -hmm. in a way as a comedian, uh, though you probably weren't aware of like all the other art or coding things. I I've been actually, doing, but... wait, let's, let's get the numbers. Like, let's get the dates right here because you might not, you think you were still in college. Yeah, well, I think the first time you saw me was at the DC Improv during that college competition. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So had you taken that class yet? Um, I guess it. Yeah, I think it was that semester. Okay, so that's I, so I was there pretty much since the start of the coding as well. Yes. Okay. And like the coding thing, I kind of jumped back and forth, like set to the side came back to on and off um but then i was doing a lot of animation like four or five years ago mm -hmm. and that has coding incorporated into it so like it was this like i keep touching different mediums at different times in my life and i've got sort of a cycle where i'm going between comedy and art uh and i've been in sort of an art cycle so i haven't really focused on really developing uh what i would consider good comedy routines in the past few years pretty much so uh, in but, a weird way the pandemic came at a good time for you yeah uh a strange thing with this project uh that i'm talking about is that if the pandemic happened didn't happen I probably wouldn't have had all the time and focus to like finish this. And this is a grant based project. So like I've had this grant for two years, uh, but working at the Hirshhorn, I kept getting like pulled away for, you know, whatever, uh, they needed. Um, and so by them no longer like needing me, Essentially, I was able to fully focus on this, uh, and yeah, it's come out. Are really you nice. comfortable talking about the money aspect of this? Uh, I, within reason, I guess. The, the reason I ask question? is, is if you got this grant for two years, is this a Hirschhorn grant, and then you get to work on whatever you want or whatever the grant is for, unless they need you to do something else, or is the grant independent of the Hirschhorn, and the Hirschhorn just lets you use space? 
Yeah, no, it's kind of tricky just based on how they structure employment. So I think I mentioned this last year. They've got a lot of contractors Mm -hmm. and I was one. Uh, And so like technically they were supposed to be giving me half time to work on this project and half time to work on Hirshhorn specific things. Okay. But yeah, uh, you know, it would kind of flip flop if that was true or not. Um, okay. And for a while they just kept, you know, occupying my time, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, they were like grasping for things to do, like to keep the museum going digitally. And so I got pretty tied up with focusing on that for a while. Did you, did you think that this was going to happen once the pandemic began, that this grant was just going to lapse due to obvious pandemic reasons? Yeah. um, Yeah. There was a point over the summer where I was like, geez, uh, (laughs) I've kind of lost uh, a lot of valuable time. I could have been working because it was supposed to end at the end of October, Yeah, but I was able to get it extended to the end of February. Well, that's Uh, great. And that was sort of by my own calculation. Uh, I was like, I could probably get this done, but the past few months has just been super intense. um, Just like (laughs) working, 60 plus hours a week on this thing but i like to do it so that's been good but it's just you yeah uh and it's been i yeah i'm an insane person so i took on all these different aspects of it so not only was i writing the code but i was designing the circuitry for the camera and i designed 3d files to 3d print the camera and this is uh, nuts yeah, also ended up making the audio and the, yeah, just like the image audio files. So if you're a blind person, this will be the closest you can come to experiencing the art of the Hirshhorn. Right. So you're able to, so for example, when it's on the desktop version, uh, the image file has regions traced over and every like traced shape. So like if you had a picture of a man, Mm -hmm. you would like trace over his face, trace over his chest, trace over his legs. And then every trace you make, you attach two audio files. One audio file plays a verbal description. The other audio file plays a tonal description. And the tonal description is there to give sort of an emotional interpretation of the artwork. Well, how do you code that? So, Right now, it's running where you pre-record all of the audio and it just loops. Uh, but you can, uh, I've set it up in such a way so like the loop will end up fading into itself so you can get like a single note going. Um, but there are ways, and I was working on this at the beginning of the project but haven't re-implemented it. There are ways you can generate music just from code uh, because like music is just, you know, sort of a set of rules typically. Uh, set of phrases, uh, set of measurements between notes, and set of number and rhythm of notes. So you can write all that in code and have it generate just uh, through your like computer sound card. Uh, and that's what's called generative audio. So is this... Am I asking dumb questions because I don't know about coding, or is this still novel to programmers? You mean like generative music? Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, no, generative generative music has like been around probably since like the fifties, but like recently it's gotten uh, the the community's gotten a lot bigger, especially because there's like there's also been a huge synth community growth okay. in the past ten years, um, and so yeah, it's still sort of a novel thing. I'm sure like. I haven't heard of like a pop song being written in I've heard of pop songs being written by AI, but like, I don't think there's been a historically good. But have you ever heard of this? Anything like what you're doing to in theory, help others. Right. The thing that I made specifically, no, I think it is the first of its kind. Uh, Like there have been similar things, but the intention with this being like an accessibility education tool, I think this is kind of the first of its kind and the way I formatted it makes this it is, the first of its kind. I don't know if it's because, because I'm not talking to enough people, but this seems so revolutionary and mind blowing <laughs> that like you should have a lot of money and a job. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that like the publicity I'm kind of doing for it will roll into something uh and that i'll get this grant again um because i've got this idea to expand it where there's this device called the stratos inspire which is a haptic feedback device and what that means is it gives you tactile feedback but it does it in a touchless way it's this grid of speakers and the speakers shoot out ultrasonic sound and where the frequencies overlap, you can feel the air vibrating. So I can combine the, like, when you're touching the audio areas, you can also be touching, like, a 3D relief. So you can get audio and tactile feedback. And then, like, the idea is when museums reopen, they're going to want touchless mm. ways of doing things. And so I'm trying to, like, you know make a name for myself doing this where I'm combining these senses to create new forms of museum education and accessibility. Wow. Wow. This is nuts. This is beyond, this this to me is beyond beyond like sci-fi stuff. Yeah, but it's all doable. Wow. These days. Here's the thing about just talking to you in the last 15 minutes. You seem to have more purpose than anyone I've spoken with in a year. (laughs) yeah i mean that has been like what i think has kept me from going insane because i'm making something that i know is good i'm making something that i know is innovative uh and i like doing it so that's i've been able to just like hone my focus on that and it's been stressful at times but like the end goal has kept me going uh because yeah like you say there's purpose so to me, it's not complicated. Purpose-driven life, you're fine. As long as you have a purpose, you're fine. So yeah. I think it's very obvious to a lot of people over the last year that when things are stripped away, it's hard to find that purpose, right? In a weird way, I feel lucky because I have a son and he was nine months when this began. So there's a, like, you can't not, you can't just like stay in bed for the day because you're sad. Like you can't, I mean, you can, I guess, but you're a bad parent then. So like I always had a thing to do and to focus on. So like, even at my darkest hour, I couldn't go that dark. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You You were the only person I know in my orbit that has clearly you've gone through pain over the last year. We all have, but like I said before, you seem focused 
and positive and driven in a purely good way? Yeah, uh, I'm generally a very optimistic person. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your comedy didn't always reflect that optimism. To me, you got you were very political with almost every single thing you did, even though you you didn't necessarily mention politics. But I think you have a very clear sense of right and wrong, and I think most absurdists do. And to them, it's incredibly easy to just like, why are we getting into the minutia if we all know this one thing is wrong? Let's poke fun at it in odd ways. Exactly. So how has the last year been for you? Because the main theme of that February 29th, 2020 show was Bernie's recent primary wins. (laughs) And like of the 30 guests I had on the show, like four maybe mentioned coronavirus, but it wasn't a big thing. And the majority of people I talked to that day were were convinced it was going to be Trump versus Bernie and Bernie was going to win. No, yeah. no one saw the murder of George Floyd coming and the Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, taking up like pretty much the summer in a very positive way. So I know your political like feelings. How has the last year, year been for you when it comes to those two things? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been very interesting. Um, I think. Well, I think to start the past four years of Trump not only like kind of justified my beliefs, but also like really turned me against the sort of liberal culture. But I don't mean that in like it turned me conservative in, in any way, but like sort of it, Trump helped expose a lot of the hypocrisy of the left. And so a lot of the things that happened this year weren't really a shock in mm-hmm. any way. And mm-hmm. I also like you knew Trump was going to fuck up something and of course, like coronavirus is going to happen no matter what, but like Trump is obviously going to handle it way worse. But yeah, just like having the whole four years to like understand a bit better uh, <laughs> the structures of things made all of this like, yeah, this is kind of a logical conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also like recognizing that I have it better than other people. So I shouldn't really complain much about certain things. Um, And yeah, so I didn't think Corona, the pandemic was going to last for more than two months at the start. But like with every month, I was like, no, this thing's going to get longer and longer. And so I also sort of, I think I adapted the belief that this thing wasn't going to end for a while. So that also created a bit of calm in a weird way. Uh, but also I'm an introvert. So all of this hasn't affected me as much as a lot of extroverts I know who are just like itching to have interactions. So I, I can deal with like existential uh, stress. I can deal with that more. Uh, social stress I'm horrible with. What do you mean? I've got like pretty bad social anxiety, at least like in certain situations. Uh, and so, yeah, like just um, if you if I have to go to a party, uh, it's going to take me a while to like get comfortable and get used to people. And that type of stress that I feel is like my bigger stress than like 
oh, I'm going to die uh, and this pandemic isn't going to end. Uh, that I can kind of deal with in a way. The only thing I've like really worried about is like my parents or older people I know who are more at risk. I haven't really been too worried about myself. Have you seen uh, your parents often? Yeah, uh, we've cut it down a whole lot. Like I've only seen them every few months uh, during the pandemic, um, but they live, you know, like, 40 minutes to an hour away. So that's not far. Yeah. I typically see them like every month at least. Are they okay with that? You mean not during pandemic every month? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. During the pandemic, do they wish they saw you more? Do they understand? Yeah, no, they wish they saw me more, but they also understand. Uh, and yeah, my mom definitely has more anxiety about the pandemic than anyone in my family. So she really wants to see me, but uh, she also is like understands the risks. Do you, were they worried about you in high school and college? Uh, for the most part, no. They would have probably preferred I didn't get a degree in art. But I've always I was always a good student. Like I was pretty much high B's and A's, um, and so I never like was any sort of academic fuck up. Like I actually kind of liked school so uh yeah they were never really worried do you miss school no okay Uh, once i got out uh everyone all the grad students uh were like yeah don't go into grad school right away like live your life some and i followed that advice and (laughs) i'm glad i did i do at points consider maybe i should go back for like some sort of new media creative technology uh, masters, but I've been putting that off for a while. And I'm also like trying to just kind of develop myself professionally that I don't need to, because you can teach a lot of like coding stuff to yourself. Uh, and I'm pretty good. In no way that. do I disagree, but can you teach coding unless you have a grad degree? I don't know the answer to that. I, that's a question. Uh, probably for the most part i'm sure there are you know some coding geniuses that you know, like for you specifically you made this thing you made oh. this brand new thing could you teach a class yes. in that yeah for sure okay yeah just because like i'm so familiar with it that it's yeah natural to teach what you created for sure do you have any desire to perform in front of people again yes you do um, okay yeah 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 definitely uh We've been doing comedy potluck uh, every month, but it's definitely felt a bit, uh, it's been a bit of a drag, I feel like, compared to live shows. Um, I need to get more time to work on a live routine, uh, and I would need to be in the right mindset. But I've had this, I've had this comedy routine, which I've programmed like a live application. Hold on, didn't we talk about this last year? We might have, yeah, okay. yeah. But I, yeah, I haven't worked on it for since last year. Um, but that's you know on the back burner, and I'd like to get back to that because that would be fun. But do you, yeah. for someone that says that they don't like societal interactions and stuff like that, you do host that show, and that show used to be in front of people that shared the same air as you, so you do crave some aspect of this. 
Right. It's it's complicated. It, like it might just be like if I haven't eaten, I don't want to hang out with people, and I just haven't like pinpointed that. Sure. Um, because I do really like interacting with people, and people tend to like me uh, as a person. So like I don't have it's it's kind of all in my head. But like uh, what it what always comes to mind is when I was, when I turned to my parents threw me a birthday party and invited all of these kids. And like, I didn't understand what was happening. And that like sort of feeling of like, why are all these people here? I can't interact with all these people. Um, that is sometimes what I get, but also uh, if it's like all people I know, then like I'm totally fine and comfortable. Uh, do you have any memory of that party or do you, is yeah, your memory that, based around telling people telling you what you did? That's my oldest memory. Like I can still visualize parts of it. Um, of course, like memories are supposed to be like every memory is a memory of a memory. So exactly. who knows if those are valid, but like I can at least think I can visualize parts of it. That's interesting because my, okay. Did you ever watch the good place? No, but I'm aware. My idea of heaven is a a barbecue, right? Preferably where I live. And it's just a bunch of people I know. And like, like you'd be there and pretty much everyone that was on the show on the 29th of February of 2020 would be there surrounded by like 10 to 20 more people. Right. But then the, the place, the thing that would make it hell would be like one or two like boyfriends or girlfriends of people that I don't know, just annoying me at the grill. Right. Exactly. So my idea of heaven might be your idea of hell. Yeah, it's quite possible. I am. Uh, uh, I think. I think what it comes down to is just like not knowing what to talk about. That's really the central thing. I'm bad at small talk. Yeah, but why does it have to be small talk? I mean, within two minutes, you were telling me about this thing that you've been working on for a year that, in theory, will change the the lives of certain people. Right. That's yeah. not small I, talk. Yeah, but that's because I know you and I know that you can talk about something like this, but like so many people you start talking about this and they're like, "What, what See, are maybe you that's the thing. Maybe the thing that maybe uh I've never had that part of me that was uncomfortable talking about. That. Like all I really want to talk about is like the heavy stuff and death. Yeah. But like <laughs> that's all but I don't think I'm a like a negative person. I mean, people might disagree, but I think that talking about that stuff, that's the beauty. That's the guts. That's the reason why we do the thing. Like, if you don't like, I like knowing how the hot dog is made and it doesn't turn me off the hot dog. Right. That's off putting yeah. to some people. I get it. It's the curiosity. Yeah. I, I probably identify that in you, that you are an equally curious person. But I also think I don't overthink things. And I don't know how your brain works when it comes to overthinking things because, oh, yeah, I just I don't know how anybody else's brain works. I don't have a lot of anxiety that other people have. All my problems are anger and and all of my fears are based out of poverty. Not not do these people like me? It's more like how am I going to pay rent? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So this brings it back to you. Uh, how does your brain work? Are you an anxious person? And do you think that working on this project or just anything in general for so long and doing it well lessens anxiety? Yeah, I think that's why I've gravitated to creative things. Also, my mom was an art teacher, so like I naturally uh, 
was, you know, forced to do it, but not really against my will because art's fun. But yeah, creative, creative acts and like getting into that flow, whether it's making a song or coding or drawing something really intensely um, and intently. Uh, yeah, is a good, I don't want to call it a distractive or a distraction because it's purposeful and it feels wrong to call it a distraction, but it's a distraction in a way, but I don't have like, I feel like there are tons of different types of anxiety and I see anxiety in other people like, oh, I definitely don't have that and I'm glad I don't. Uh, and I think I'm a generally pretty stable person, but I do overthink things for sure. Um, and my mind is constantly in a million places at once. Do you think uh, that the think pandemic helped call call that calm that aspect down because it took away a lot of options? Yeah, it took away a lot of options and also like not having to go into work. Well, I was working um, with the Hirshhorn's education space for basically my whole time there and not having to go in and like interact with like a million teenagers at once uh, was very, very relieving. I had already kind of stopped that position, but like only a few months before I was, you know, doing that every day and that ended up sucking a lot of energy out of me. Um, and I think part of that is just like the social aspect of it. Uh, just, I got overloaded with that. And then while I was doing that, I was trying to work on these tech projects, which, you know, occupy a whole different part of the brain. And so the stress of those things combined, um, was kind of eliminated with the pandemic and being able to stay at home and just like fully focus on my own project essentially. So this is the first time I've said this, like, I kind of hope the pandemic doesn't end for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, not literally speaking, but yes, uh, I hope this will at least lead me into a place where I can work from home at least, um, or uh, yeah, work in a calmer environment where I'm more focused and uh, have just like, basically just have tools to work with. That's all I need to stay calm. Have you considered and, moving to a rural community? I've thought about it. It's it's always been, um, in my mind, such a debate. Like, I'd like to go off into the middle of nowhere, but I also do like getting back into the city and having interactions. I know I've just, like, talked about social anxiety. But, yeah, like, I do need the balance of it. Um, but I would not be opposed to, like, half the year being secluded somewhere far away. Like, because you're in Col are you still in Columbia Heights? Uh, Petworth, yeah. Here's no bother. Do you, was Petworth a, is Petworth a good place to be in the during the pandemic? Yeah, uh, for the most part, um, Petworth's kind of secluded anyway. It's sort of you know the closest metro to a lot of the metro. Kind of ends at Petworth in some ways. Like if you keep going north on Georgia, there are no more metro stops. Mm -hmm. um, so like it's right sort of on the edge where there's a calmness, but there's still at least some activity. Mm -hmm. um, and also Lyman's has stayed open. So that's a blessing. You, me, them, everybody is made by me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify 
or on iTunes. The last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our About page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, at sign Y-M-T-E. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping, friends and family are.